from the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to Motherfuck Core, a special Patreon-only episode for as a thank you to everyone who's been generous enough to support the continued production of the show. My guest today, if you if you follow my Word of the Week series with the Irish Arts Centre, you'll already know my guest today. Uh, Amy Louise Callahan illustrated a, a series of words in, in the mythology series that we were of words we were doing, and everyone who saw them thought they were pretty awesome. Amy Louise, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to have been asked. <laughs> thank That's you. So um, years ago, I noticed just from your Twitter feed, I noticed you were sharing some really, I guess, very memorable art. Something that you've done and that you continue to do with more of your recent stuff is you found a space between Irish mythology, images and stories you know very well with, I guess, international kind of um, art styles or things such as the artwork of, the, of Studio Ghibli in Japan. And more recently, the, 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 the familiar iconography of, of tarot cards. We start with um, Studio Ghibli. Uh, where did your uh, did that? That must have made an impression at some point with you early on, yes. Oh gosh, yes. Um, so like I've always loved Studio Ghibli. Um, like I'm a massive fan anyway of like Japanese animation and just animation in general. So like Studio Ghibli be like a huge, um, obviously huge presence amongst that. Um, yeah. So like obviously I would have um, say watched Spirited Away for the first time when I was like thirteen, and then like I would have watched more kind of throughout my teenage years. Um, but they've always been like a huge influence for me. And I suppose at that time I was, I suppose, trying to, I'd always been a traditional artist and was trying to kind of get more into digital art. So when I started kind of um, doing that, I suppose I wanted to kind of take inspiration, mainly just for a learning perspective to try and see how Studio Ghibli tackle things like environments and characters and designs. And I really wanted to incorporate that in my own work. So I suppose a lot of that stuff, particularly um, the work you mentioned there, like the ones where I was doing the Irish myths and the, also the other ones where I did um, notable Irish figures, um, it was very much to, I suppose, um, learn from them and to kind of practice that style for myself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's where very much where it came from was this wanting to, like, I always think they have such a distinctive feel for just everything like in terms of how they design their environments and particularly characters and it's just so unique that I just really want to incorporate that in my art so I suppose I just wanted to see that from a Irish perspective I guess. Very much so and I think and I know I was, I was I've been pronouncing it wrong all my life now I realise oh, I, <laughs> I, I, uh... I think it's um I think notably I think even Miyazaki pronounces it interchangeably so I really don't think <laughs> it's oh, like then, yeah. then I'm off the hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. No, because I, I noticed that was particularly as American animation got more kind of um, more arch and more kind of uh, kind of postmodern and sarcasm driven between The Simpsons and Shrek and and even some some late Disney stuff, uh, you, you found that there was a there's a real appetite for the way um, the, the the Ghibli approach and in, in storytelling as well has recently been a a bit of a discourse about how there's no conflict in in these stories and I think and I think there is conflict as it's handled in a slightly um, and slightly less in your face way. I mean, there is, of course, conflict in Ponyo and its spirited way and these awesome stories. It's just, um, it's just not as brazen. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I saw a piece actually on that discourse of um, how I think people are mistaking a lack of conflict more so for particularly Miyazaki, but also like the other directors like Takahata and like some of the others that like say would have directed like Whisper the Heart and stuff is that I think people are mistaking a lack of conflict more so for their use of 
time and like space and like kind of giving those moments to just I suppose sit and think about what you've um what you're what you're watching so I suppose I always think of like in Spirited Away um the train scene is one of my favorite scenes like ever in cinema and I just think it's so beautiful and contemplative and um I think I think that yeah they were like I've seen a lot of stuff on that which is that like people reckon that's where this notion of no conflict comes from it's more so that Ghibli gives space rather than the rushing straight into action and you know that kind of lets you I suppose sit with the characters for a bit and I suppose yeah a big thing is the humour that like it's I mean completely different from say American animation that's gone so um like you said like Archer Simpsons um do you know sarcasm and I suppose yeah and in that. jokes and references and things yeah. I mean and then there may very well be references that a Western audience mightn't be clued into mm. and something like that and I I, th- I thought that I remember when and I think maybe this has been the first moment when I kind of I, I made contact with you online how uh, you had there was an illustration of Satanta versus the wolfhound mm. or versus versus Cullen's dog and it was presented in this in this way and and it was what well, what doesn't always come across in, in how that's that's represented visually is this you know the how, how young Satanta would have been and maybe that the maybe that the dog had maybe misunderstood gentle aspects the actual the wildlife uh, the the landscape around it it was in some ways it seemed like a perfect fit in a way that maybe hadn't been understood before and yeah I couldn't get out of my mind when I shared it um, on Twitter people were like oh, this, is, this is brilliant where can, I, where can I get this and it's I think it's, we think some we're so used to I suppose our own, our own mythology four or five stories from it being so overdone and overdone but there's um, when you actually connect it with, with parallel mythologies around the world it can become new all over again mm, Completely um, I think particularly because we're very used I think to one set depiction do you know i think everyone remembers maybe the illustrations of do you know the first um do you know if they're learning the myths as a child and they'll always remember the illustrations say of the book be it like a school book or whatever mm-hmm. it is and i think that very much creates like a canon appearance in their heads and it's very easy to fall into those old tropes um like i i know someone say commented on this with like say my tarot cards that i think that i was really aware of was i didn't want everyone to have the same typical appearance we think of when we think of like old Ireland and the Celts and stuff, which is, you know, I don't know, like long red hair and long beard and all this mm. stuff and very, you know, tunic. Um, but it's um, it's very much, I think we all have, yeah, very set um, ideas in our heads of how it looks like. So it can be quite difficult to stray away from that. So when we mm. see it, then, yeah, it can, you know, be some, yeah, I suppose a little new anyway, something different. Fantastic. And as we say, just, you were, and I suppose that the, your interest in in Japanese animation led you to Japan, but your it was your your Japanese adventure was was interrupted by a certain <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, slightly, but it, you know, I mean, I was very lucky in what I did get to see. I mean, um, it was I suppose I mean obviously quite bizarre to be in Japan at the time because um, you it, it was a case of like a horribly like a hugely mounting situation in Ireland, and in comparison. Um, it wasn't as severe, safe while I was in Japan. Like it did get severe parts, but still not in the level that Ireland was like. So it was very mm-hmm. odd because I was still very much able to explore the country and take in um, the influences that I, you know, love and adore and see more of that. Like I was able to still, for example, um, I'm really also inspired, like not just from the animation, I'm really inspired by uh, Ukiyo-e, um, our, like print, um, prints, so the oh, Japanese yes. woodblock, ah, sorry, uh, the Japanese woodblock um, artwork, um, 
And I was able to see loads of that because they were in galleries, which is obviously something I wouldn't really maybe get to see as often over here and stuff like that. Um, so it was great to be able to take, I suppose, get that opportunity. I was so lucky and I'll never, you know, <laughs> get mm-hmm. over how lucky I was to actually still be able to do that just from sheer luck of leaving at a certain time. But um, what was it? Uh, being able to take in all those influences was really great to be able to then come back to Ireland, you know, uh, halfway through the pandemic or whatever to still have all that. <laughs> Definitely. And so you're obviously learning Japanese before you left. Yeah, and I still do. Like I try and learn. Yeah, at the moment I'm learning, trying to learn three languages, but uh, not very well. Um, mm. Irish, um, Japanese and a little bit of German, but that's about it. But Excellent. yeah, learning Japanese beforehand and while I was there and stuff. How did you find that? Because I know some people find, I found sometimes when learn, learn, when you'd have to learn a language and an off, but at the same time it can be a, um, it can it can be quite quite daunting. Mm, definitely. I think particularly when you're tackling it um, from a self-study perspective, like I would have done a very short course, course, um, but like that was only like 10 weeks. So then you're kind of very much left in your own and finding it can be very daunting because it feels like there's so much, particularly it's a thing that in the context of Japanese, it's a thing that I really like, but it's also daunting, which is there's so many aspects. It's like you're studying the kanji and you're studying the words and, you know, you're learning to read it, but you're also learning to hear it and um, there's so many aspects and I think in comparison to other language learning learning that other alphabet is just it's like an extra step do you know yeah. um, and it can be very definitely daunting in that way and I know definitely before I went to Japan like it's not that I would have been lazy with it but like I would have been more happy at and maybe not been as aware of like stuff I really needed to learn whereas obviously when you're dropped in situations you have like for example I had to um navigate government buildings um over there because I was like there on a legit visa I wasn't just you know <laughs> chilling um but it meant that like say me and my boyfriend went over but he had no Japanese which meant it kind of very much fell on me and oh, yes. that I had no choice but to ramp up that learning and get the very specific context you know like simple things like government buildings or trying to send a letter in a post office like you know it was obviously being there helped ramp up mm. that learning <laughs> you know absolutely and I, that, that's the thing but it, it, when two people when two people are traveling together and one person has a little bit more of the language it can be very um the temptation to, to laziness for the other person can really uh, kick in definitely and i mm. wouldn't normally um like i don't mind talking and stuff like in a shop or whatever but i uh, would very he'd very much be the talker in the relationship mm-hmm. so it was uh very daunting in the sense that usually i would normally let him do all the uh, busy work and the talking but uh, that role unfortunately fell to me, which is fine, but uh, it was good practice, unfortunately, but uh, very, very stressful when you're doing government forms and stuff. Oh, definitely. Um, do you think you'll go back when things have... Uh, yeah, I'd go- love to go back. Um, I just really would, yeah. Like, I mean, I probably wouldn't, like, say, uh, ever live over there again, um, just because, mm. you know, I, I had my fill. I suppose I was very lucky in that sense, but I mean, I... I completely, I mean, I recommend it to everyone, obviously, to visit if they ever can, you know, if we can ever get to that point of uh, global travel. <laughs> but mm. um, again, but uh, yeah, no, if in, I definitely, I say we'll be over on the first chance, I guess, just because I got to see such a large part of the country, but obviously there's more to see, you know. Definitely. I'd like to talk a minute about the actual, the Word of the Week project, which mm. is something, um, something I do with the Irish Arts Centre. And it was an idea they came up with when the pandemic hit, when they were going to be having less live events. The, the idea of kind of, they looked into the possibility of doing virtual events, one of which was I would uh, describe, describe an Irish word and they'd have an artist represent it. And you represented with a series of words. 
um, are pretty cool words. I, you, you, I, I gave you good ones. Yeah, um, so I, I'd love to maybe if you could talk about the process of saying, uh, of saying when I get when you get a word, the first one you were like a bon and och, probably a word you may not have heard before because it was fairly obscure when I discovered it. A really mm-hmm. cool word, and when you consider it, it means a kind of a ghost that or a malevolent spirit that haunts the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, what well, when you that when that was your assignment? What, what was your first step? Well, um, the first step for like all the words was uh, Googling, <laughs> trying to get that context. Obviously, some of them were, for example, a lock uh, for Swan Lake um, was obviously, obviously much more straightforward. Um, mm. But then like others, like I would have obviously approached it from a uh, research point of view, first of all, just to try and see like, obviously, because they're mythologies, like you can really play with it and have fun. But mm. um, you also do want to figure out like what other people have taught of these creatures or characters and try and, you know, especially if there's certain things about them, like, for example, with Statok, is there certain weapons or armor or appearance that she canonically in that respect, uh, you know, mythology, but that she would have. But um, yeah, like, I mean, specifically for like Bonanok, as you said, like not the most common of words either. Like mm. it definitely wouldn't have been something I had naturally come across before this. And um, if I recall, it was the, I think you you sent me on a paragraph for context, and it was was it from Antoine? I think yeah, oh, yeah. From, in Antoine, yeah, and yeah, Antoine, Antoine, sorry. No, it's fair enough. But um, what was it? Uh, so like obviously that helped with a lot of context because there wasn't a ton about it. There would have been more about um, Botanox. Uh, am I pronouncing that? Yeah, the, the, um, yeah, they would have been more about them. The goat like creatures that would sign of us I would have seen more about them say on the internet so that was a fun one kind of to tackle it from a research point of view so like for that one like took me a while but um just because I was also myself trying to um create a design for them because I suppose there was not you know kind of design that type of rate like appearance was like a big not a challenge but it was like fun because it was like you know you were trying to experiment with different things like actually for example that illustration I did for Bonanok I drew like three or four times to try and get a feel for like how it would eventually look and it was definitely probably my most difficult one but just because I was being really fussy in how Mm -hmm. I wanted to um, showcase them and I suppose the battlefield where they are and stuff like that but uh yeah I thought, yeah, because it really popped just from those dark colours and how they actually mm-hmm. framed the battlefield. It worked. I thought it worked really well. And again, it's just two of the ones, uh, two of the words I gave you are, are extremely obscure. And for, I wouldn't have, was one of them. Uh, and the other one was a word which called Bibsach, which a lot of people say it, it, there's, there's only one kind of, a, there's one incident of, we weren't sure if it was just a typo of sorts or as a, a spelling error in a, in a one particular document that just happened to get recorded in a dictionary in the 19th century by a guy who was very busy and <laughs> working on his own and should this even be a word at all but I, I tried to include that in the context but it, I thought it's it's hard to walk past when you hear a word for like, killing someone twice yeah, yeah it's was, hard to just walk past that word <laughs> that was a very fun one I liked doing it because I mean it was me learning the word a word I wouldn't have known anyway so that was fun um, that was definitely a challenge because you were like gosh how how on earth do you attempt to depict someone dying twice or to be killed mm. twice and all this contact so that one was more definitely more conceptual than um, ones I would normally draw even if I still had um, some form of figurative as- aspect with um, actually drawing a person but um it was very fun. Um, a lot of people have said to me that that was their favourite of my illustrations mm. that I did for the Irish Word of the Week. And uh, yeah, that was definitely, it was a challenge. Like I said, because there was no context for it. Like you couldn't just Google, like even 
if you try to Google the word, I'm pretty sure the only thing that comes up is, I'm pretty sure, an article you wrote where you brought <laughs> up the word. So I was like, okay, this is good. This is <laughs> this is all mm. my context. But um, yeah, it's uh, that was a fun one. I liked that. Good stuff. And when I, again, getting back to um, Ghibli, um, mm. when I saw your um, the illustration for Airlock, I was reminded mm. immediately of Ponyo. <laughs> um, yeah, I think definitely accidentally had on the brain I was thinking afterwards I was like oh you know with the the red hair and stuff um mm. definitely like I take a lot of inspiration from Ghibli anyway for how I would approach drawing children because they're mm. they're they can be quite hard um obviously because you're trying to draw them obviously a little bit more cute I suppose or uh, you know they're a little bit more stylized I suppose than how you typically would maybe draw a person a human uh, mm. an adult <laughs> not a human <laughs> but um, um what was it uh yeah I definitely um, took a lot of inspiration from uh, even like Spirited Away was a big inspiration for that illustration in particular um, I don't know why I think there's a lot of um, not even parallels but I just I view uh, if I was to um, adapt the Children of Lear into an animated film I would definitely be taking a heavy inspiration from uh, some stuff like Spirited Away in terms of those slow moments I suppose I kind of wanted to depict that in the illustration This is the funny thing because I we are um I suppose our understanding of a lot of our understanding of European mythology has has mm. been, is filtered through. I suppose the Disney era, like I mean, I think that I mean, well, it wasn't until the fifties or sixties when uh, Walt Disney actually started using recent or um, texts that were still in copyright, like Winnie mm. the Pooh and things like that. And you know, it's when 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 Pinocchio and Bambi were were are turned up, they were I suppose well, Pinocchio and Bambi. Bam, yeah, they they they, they had they had long was was mythological roots, Snow White and that those stories, and the, the original Grim Fairy Tale versions of those are can be quite dark and Cinderella as well, of course. And one of the reasons they I know when sometimes Disney's executives were asked why they haven't done more Irish mythology, the idea was oh it's all they're all downers, mm-hmm. and a lot of this could be down to how maybe how they're anthologized. On one level, most mythology is actually really really downers. So if you look at the the Greek mythology texts, like some of the stuff about uh, how the Minotaur was born, you you, you don't mm. get told that in primary school. <laughs> that's a that's a fucked up story. Definitely. And then, and then, yes, yeah, no primary school teacher wants to read out to their class what what, what happened there. And then, but then, when you look at I suppose how um, yeah, it is 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 a case that maybe that. And now that this was that car- cartoon salon has probably been been blessed in, in some ways by the fact that these that the international uh, filmmakers have been scared off my Irish mythology for so long. I guess was, but if you were doing the children of Lear, is, is it? I mean, is it a case that you you have you have to tag on a happy ending, or, or is it a case that like I think if we say that the original ending was probably tagged on centuries later mm. anyway is, is it a case does that does that allow a filmmaker now to say well that i can tag on an ending want if, if the church could tag on a, a bad ending why can't i tag well, on a good it, one like, the thing i like about the mythologies is the fact that i mean there's a billion different endings you know even like machine and tiernan old like in one ending he beats saint patrick and another he doesn't you know as in mm. and it's the same with children earlier for example where i'm pretty sure I think when I first learned about it in primary school, I I definitely don't think they died. Do you know? Isn't I definitely I don't think there was as many. Definitely had more of a Sleeping Beauty vibe where it had like 
you know, gone on for hundreds of years, but I don't, not hundreds of years, but like I definitely have gone on for a long time where they were swans, but I do think they reunite with Lear at the end. Do you get me? As in, I'm pretty yeah. sure that was a version that I learned. And, and then obviously there's other ones where it's like been hundreds of years, uh, you know, Lear's gone. They, was it 900 years or something like that, that they stay as swans, you know? And yeah. obviously it's quite a sad ending and they grow old and die. Um, I think... I mean, the fun thing about mythology that I like is that you can really do whatever you want. I think if I was to adapt it, I would keep um, the ending where they, like, I suppose, don't reunite with him and they do die. But that's because I'm not that I'm pessimistic, but that, um, I don't know, I just think it, I, it's, I suppose there's such a, I think out of all the myths, that's definitely for me one of the ones that's most like fairy tale like, yeah. you know, I suppose. And obviously, like, there's men, many, um, like Hans Christian Andersen and Grimm fairy tales that have not been adapted by Disney for like the sole purpose of the fact that they're far too dark. Do you know, like I always yeah. think of, I think it's Hans Christian Andersen that did the matchstick girl, um, but I yeah. could be wrong. Um, and like, that's like so sad, like a very, very sad um, story that obviously, you know, that Disney will never touch, but um, I don't think anyway, unless they've done it in a short. But uh, I think, um, I don't know, there's something quite... Um, like I said, maybe this is the influence for me watching too much Ghibli where I've watched like Grave of the Fireflies and, mm-hmm. you know, Prince, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, who are like, which are like really sad films, you know, if you've not seen them. Um, but I think there's something quite um, beautiful in the sad stuff too. Do you know, that it doesn't have to be, I suppose, this incredibly happy ending. I don't know, maybe I'm a bit of a downer in that, <laughs> you know. But I think, I mean, on one level, maybe now in the 21st century, now this was in a, in a post-Pixar world, we've... Um, where you actually realise that uh, some excellent animation has been used to actually talk about death and mm. sadness to children in a way that maybe wasn't considered before. I mean, like we've got uh, Between Up and Coco and things like that. You, I mean, you probably could have um, children there as a way of talking about, you know, um, uh, a, a, a way of accepting bereavement instead of just, oh, someone died and it was sad. Maybe there's, yeah. um, the, there's probably hope there. Yeah. But the... Um, but when I think about, it, I suppose, yeah, we a recurring topic as was on on the podcast has been, oh, wouldn't they, who would they make it if they made a movie of the town? Uh, mm-hmm. Who would who would be in it? Who would be in it? Would be would be cool? And the temptation to say it, to make it a big action movie <laughs> is there, but there's obviously there's a lot more going on. It's such a weird story, and in some ways, I you almost think animation would probably be give there's more opportunities to express that in animation definitely than in, in some sort of live action thing. Yeah, and just. The children there, obviously, on one level, they've got for the word airlock, you did that. But then your tarot card, you return mm. to children Lear for the fool. And yeah. this Lear surrounded by swans weeping. It reminded me of a, an old painting of, of King Midas. And I just thought this is just, it was so dramatic. And it, it's you, these are two very different spins on the same story. And mm. the your tarot, now this is really the part we move on to the tarot cards. Mm. Why did you decide to do Irish mythology tarot? Um, well, I suppose it was actually going off from, so having done the Ghibli paintings inspired by Irish mythology, um, my, like I'd always had an interest in Irish mythology, but it was like kind of ramped up. I'd never thought to like incorporate it in my art because, um, I suppose I just, I didn't think it suited my style, I suppose. Like weirdly, um, at the time I just assumed that, you know, when you think of Irish mythology, you think of very, um, clear, correct correct artworks that we all I think can picture I I can't remember some of the artists now but like there's very like if you google Irish mythology there's a very Jim Fitzpatrick being the that's it yeah Yeah. hmm. Jim Fitzpatrick in particular um, I just yeah I couldn't remember his name for a second but um, like I mean his 
I suppose if you're to consider like his artworks, like the a canon version of how these, uh, you know, uh, characters would look. Um, you know, for a long time, I, I assumed that it didn't really suit my style. And then having done the um, the Ghibli redraws and kind of starting to incorporate it more into my work, I was like, no, like, I suppose it's like trying to um, have fun with it. And the whole point that like anyone can do it and have their spin and play in it. And a few other artists that I follow have done this too. Um, there's a, an artist... Um, I, I only do know her by her username, but there's one called Prince Tamago, who um, she's also very anime inspired and stuff. But she has a beautiful collection of um, work inspired by its um, characters from Irish myths. So she's done Satanta, um, the Morrigan, um, the Banshee and stuff like that. And they're really different because they're kind of more modernized interpretations. But I know quite a lot of artists that are trying to do that. And I suppose for the tarot cards, it was there's two reasons. It was me wanting to do a big project and sit and and do it you know and complete it and you know a tarot card like I've I a lot of artists on the internet I suppose do tarot card projects I'd been recently following someone who was doing uh, a tarot card collection inspired by the video game Hades so that's Greek mythology mm-hmm. um you know but that's just one example like I'd also seen ones for like many different um games and films and stories and I just seemed like a really fun thing to do from like a practicing character design perspective, practicing composition and just yet to complete a big project. And even though um, like the idea of doing Irish mythology as tarot cards isn't actually new, like plenty of artists have done it. Um, Like I like on Etsy, if you look it up, there's actually a couple of artists that have completed tarot decks. Um, What was it? So it's not like it's this new massive idea, but it was more so that uh, I kind of wanted to put my spin on it and have, I suppose, fun with mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. And the tarot cards and their headings gave me a good um, framework for that, mm-hmm. I suppose, do you know, um, which was kind of a big thing. So uh, the most, the most favourite tarot, famous tarot card for people like me or kind of outside the world are, is probably death. And people will say, mm-hmm. oh, death, death isn't actually that bad, actually. It just means change mm-hmm. or something. So, okay. And then it, it's, and there's, there's a different significance of death is upside down. Or mm. when, it, in, when it's dealed, that's about all I know about tarot cards. Yeah. But so, and then obviously, so some of the others they started ringing a bell. You know, there was a female priest or a female pope was one of the characters, and then there was the lovers, and and then the lovers was uh, was uh, Deirdre and Nisha, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yes, fantastic and kind of interesting now. I suppose how um, now that Nisha is very more common as a girl's name than a boy's name, it mm. kind of adds an interesting dimension to the, to um, to the, 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 them as a couple. But that you. How that was you you, you expressed beautifully on the, the the lovers card and then the who did you use for the others? Um, so so far I've got um, nine completed. So it's uh, the fool is King Lear and his children. Um, got a second one is I drew the Dagda. So that is the I'm trying to try and remember my titles now. Actually, I think I have a list. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm going to grab that up. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, so. It's uh so the next one was number one so that was the magician so I did the dagda because um obviously the magician's very much in terms of druidry and wisdom so mm. I thought that he would obviously suit that um 
there was a lot of it's funny um me and my my boyfriend is helping me so much in terms of my boyfriend Liam's doing such great research with me on this it's very much after evolving into a joint project that started with an idea that I had that's accidentally become now a joint project between us two that so we're constantly kind of arguing and reshuffling the cards and figuring out like oh maybe this person suits this title better but um so I said like the Dagda was actually a big cause of like we weren't too sure who we should be throwing in there <laughs> there was so many different options um, and then like number two is the High Priestess so I drew Bridget um, just because obviously she's associated with wisdom poetry healing and protection um, the Empress then I decided to draw Queen Maeve um, mm-hmm. so I just thought she just worked really well and like particularly it's just kind of a manifestation of some form of like sovereign leader and goddess you know and I suppose she's such a like quite funnily has become some sort of bizarre um, feminist character mm-hmm. um, you know among so many people and I just I think she's quite a chaotic presence um, so I just yeah. I don't know I thought she worked um, and then the emperor um, well, we I decided and well me and Liam decided it'd be Manon and Maclear. Um yeah. that was also another um we, we we had like a lot of debates over this one because originally it was actually going to be Finn McCool, if I remember correctly. Um, but then we thought he would suit another one later on down the line. So we had to do some reshuffling. But I think Mananen, um suits it quite well. Um, and then the Hierophant is Statoc, just basically because it's like kind of that teacher kind of card. Um, and then the Lovers are Deirdre and Nisha. Um, the Chariot, um, I decide, we decided to go with Ainbar. Um Obviously, there is a, oh gosh, am I going to mispronounce his name now? Leg. Leg, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was a, a potential, but we didn't, we just wanted to shake it up so we weren't just drawing a load of people all the time. And then mm. um, Justice is Lou. So that's the, actually, I thought I'd had nine completed, but I actually have eight. Um, so Justice is my most recent card, and that was Lou. Um, obviously, just because he's completely associated with like the law and order and stuff like that. And then I'm currently working on the Hermit. Um, so that's going to be uh, Finicus. So um, oh. what was it? I thought he would work quite well. I suppose, like, I mean, it's obviously kind of a solitary card and there's lots of different meanings for it. So we're kind of, I suppose, taking more of a literal meaning. I don't know. I kind of always have viewed Finicus um, as a very solitary character because he's just sitting, I suppose, mainly trying to just get the sound of knowledge. I just always have viewed him as very um, solitary as a character. So uh, what you call it? That's where that's come from. So some of them have been more uh, justified as according to the actual meanings of the tarot and then others have been a little bit more looser. Like, for example, like, I know that even for, like, the Fool card for King Lair, that that was more of a um, a more literal, not even literal interpretation, but, like, as in there was kind of a, a it was one that needed a bit more uh, justification than maybe, you know, some other depictions, traditional depictions, say, of the Fool in the card, because normally, obviously, it's kind of more of a, like the depictions are more of a um, a Joker type character, I suppose. Um, yeah. Or well, a fool, do you know? Fool, I suppose the fool has a, a lot of, uh, is very broadly interpreted, like death. Mm. Yeah, that's it, mm-hmm. do you know? Um, so, I mean, I, I, we actually do have them all completely planned um, for like all of them, which I can list if you want. <laughs> so whatever suits well, you. We'll look forward to seeing them. The project. We'll yeah. look forward to seeing them. I, I wouldn't come out and I know like a lot of people who will... Um, who will be listening today will be very much looking forward to seeing those too. That's good. <laughs> That's good. So, yeah. I mean, we love to ask all our guests what their favourite Irish word is. And oh, okay, cool. if you have one, but also because of your time in Japan, we would, if you have a favourite Japanese word too, that would be fun. Oh, God, my favourite um, Japanese word. That's a interesting one because I have um, 
Uh, let's see. I'm going to have to think that one now a second. Mm. <laughs> um, I think my favourite um, Irish word anyway is actually um, Tive Shore. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Um, I, I actually once again came across it in one of your articles. Um, but what was it? I just thought it was um, brilliant um, mm. in terms of, I just, I really like this notion that there's a specific word for someone who tells ghost sells. stories. Yeah, I just really like that. It's I think, brilliant. Yeah, I just think, I just, I really like, um, I'm a big fan of, in terms of language learning, learning words that uh, don't mean, um, I suppose, uh, yeah, like I said, I suppose I'm a big fan of um, learning words that like obviously can't be translated as easily or that like there's very, very specific or something. Do you know, I just I quite like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Japanese, I, this is going to sound awful because I've mentioned spirit away so often um, in this podcast. And I don't want people to think that I'm some, I don't know, <laughs> weebo, anime, trash. <laughs> like it's genuinely not this. Um, uh, but uh, my favourite Japanese, one of my favourite Japanese words is probably kami kakushi, um, which I'm definitely not pronouncing correctly hope i hope i am but it basically it's literally it's it, like it doesn't translate completely correctly but it's the literal meaning of um being spirited away okay. i suppose um and it's in the title for spirited away uh it's like sent to chihiro no kamikakushi or something but um uh i really like it because uh, to me anyway it's i um it's once again one of those words what they've found quite difficult to like put into context for like other countries and stuff like that. So it's been loosely translated into something like being spirited away by taken away by spirits. But I quite like it because I feel it really relates to um to the Irish notion of being away with the fairies. Oh um, yes. And I find a very um I like the kind of parallels there. And like I suppose as you said that there's a there can be quite a lot of parallels between different cultures and different stories. And I suppose in terms of that as a concept, I I quite like that. I yeah, in terms of a parallel. Fantastic. Anyway, Lucy Collin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it's good. <laughs> Where can people find your stuff and buy your stuff? Um, you can find my stuff um, on, well, I'm the same handle on Twitter and Instagram. And it's uh, Amy Louie O.C. So I suppose it's A-M-Y-L-O-U-I-O-C. Um, that is also my Etsy um, shop uh, like name, but it's not. It's easy to search that, so you're probably easier to find me through Twitter, Instagram. Mm. Um, it's closed at the moment anyway, for the time being, until I sort myself out. And yeah, um, the hope is, in terms of the tarot cards, because a lot of people have asked about them, which is, um, originally when I started it, this wasn't the intention, but um, enough people have asked that I will be researching, making them into actual physical cards. So that will be something, hopefully, towards the end of the summer, autumn time, that will be a thing that will be appearing on my social media as actual physical thing. I can be gotten, which is nice. So, yeah. I can't wait to get my paws on them. <laughs> Thank you. Great Thank stuff. you very much. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much. No problem. Bye now. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.